This program deals with themes of an adult nature and is intended for a mature audience. The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. Our differences worldwide would vanish if we were facing an alien threat from outside this world. We must guard against the military-industrial complex. Exopolitics, paranormal phenomena, and deep analysis of current world events. From somewhere in the desert, between Area 51 and Roswell, blasting across the planet, the Manticore Network proudly presents Fairy Tales. Because the truth will set you free. Headline edition, July 8, 1947. The Army Air Forces has announced that a flying disc has been found and is now in the possession of the Army. I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! The power they took from the people will return to the people. And so long as men die, liberty will never perish. Soldiers, don't fight for slavery, fight for liberty! The only thing we have to fear is fear itself! Sooner or later, though. You always have to wake up. Be skeptical, but don't close your mind. Greetings to everyone around the world, and a warm welcome to another edition of Veritas, alternative media for discerning minds. I'm your host, Mel Fabregas, and I sincerely thank you for joining me once again. And if this is your first time, make yourself at home. I want to thank all our members. As always, you are keeping Veritas alive. Tonight's special guest will discuss what is probably the most famous contested and controversial UFO case in history. Michael Horn will discuss the Billy Meyer case. Michael will be with us shortly. To listen to the complete version of this and all our past and future shows, become a member. You will receive instant access to all our shows. And remember, Veritas survives on your voluntary subscriptions only. That is why we are uncensored. Just head on over to our website, veritasshow.com, click on subscribe and take Veritas with you. And get your MMS right from us, whether you live in the United States or abroad. And if you buy health supplements anywhere, you are paying too much. Take a look at the news source featured on our website and compare. You can buy as many products and they have thousands 
and only pay $5.95 for shipping. And you also get a 30-day return policy. Check them out. And many of you have been asking me when Season 2 would be available on the 8GB USB drive. Here's the issue. The season really ends on December the 5th. However, I want to make seasons on a calendar basis, just like season one, which also included the bonus shows recorded on December 2008 and 2009. So you received an extra set of shows. But for season two, here are the options I have for you. Option one, buy season two at the beginning of December, but you would have to download the remaining shows to your USB drive to complete the season. That way you get it for the holidays. Option two, you can buy it at any time from the beginning of December, but you won't receive it until after the year is over, which means you will have it loaded with all the shows and music of the season. This way we satisfy those who want to give it as a gift for the holidays or those who want the full season included. Remember, the only difference is that you have to download three to four shows once you receive it. That's all. For more information, go to the Veritas store on our website. Thank you for your interest. Oh, and of course, you can still purchase Season 1 at any time and get classic shows like our premiere episode with Milton Torres and Zachariah Sitchin's very last interview. And if you need to get in touch with me, go to our website and click on the contact button or join me on Facebook. From all the UFO cases, there is one or a true disproportionate effort to discredit, undermine, ridicule, and trivialize has taken place. There are only two reasons for this to be occurring. Either this is the biggest hoax ever perpetrated, or it is the biggest story in human history, with over 1,000 daylight photographs of ships, sound recordings, prophecies, and more. After decades, the Billy Meyer case still makes it to the headlines. Michael Horn is coming up next. This is Mel Fabregas, and you're listening to Veritas. Don't go anywhere. This is Michael Cremo, and you are listening to Veritas Radio. Michael Horn has been researching the Billy Meyer UFO contacts for over 25 years and is now the authorized representative for the book on the Meyer case. And yet, they fly. Though he has long been fascinated with the amazing photos, films, and other still irreproducible physical evidence. Michael's main focus since 1988 has been on Meyer's prophetically accurate scientific and world event related information, published from one to more than 25 years in advance of terrestrial discovery of occurrence. Because of the abundance and impeccable accuracy of Meyer's material and the failure of professional skeptics and debunkers 
To duplicate any of Meyer's hard evidence, Michael has concluded that Meyer's credibility is unequal by any other source, past or present. Of all the UFO cases in the world, I think the Billy Meyer case is the most famous, the most contested, and the most controversial. No question about it. And to share with us why the Billy Meyer case is a valid one, directly from Southern California, the authorized American media representative for Billy Meyer, Michael Horn. Hello, Michael, and welcome to Veritas. Hi, Mel. Thank you very much for having me on the show. Glad to have you on. And Michael, someone like you with a media and music background, songwriter, book publisher, entrepreneur, how did you get in touch with Billy? How did it all start for you? Well, actually, I walked into a bookstore in 1979. It was a bookstore in the greater Los Angeles area called the Bodhi Tree. You know, metaphysical, paranormal, UFO, all that type of stuff, spiritual books. And I saw the first uh, coffee table picture book, you know, large, square, rectangular photo book, primarily. But it also had information in it. It not only had these startlingly clear UFO photos, but information on the Meyer, the witnesses, different categories of physical evidence, etc., and when I looked at the book, it just immediately struck me as, you know, being real evidence. And, of course, to this day, I have the same feeling. It's just that I've had actually now, you know, all these years, now 31 years, really, to um, kind of hone, uh, you know, my opinion about it and to have gone through much, much, much more of all sorts of evidence in order to be able to, you know, state that this is authentic it's the only one of its kind, and it's, it's still ongoing as of today. The man still meets with these people, these human extraterrestrials. So that was really the beginning of my involvement with the Meyer material. And you mentioned that coffee table book, which I happen to have right next to me here on my studio coffee table. A few weeks ago, I got a phone call, uh, Michael, from a, an estate sale. And they looked for me because the the... Uh, people who had passed away had a, an enormous collection of UFO material, uh, publishings, books, and so on. And it was the day Colonel Wendell Stevens passed away. And I happened to have a lot of collector's items here, including uh, those books uh, that he published many years ago. Although I doubt anyone listening is not familiar with the Billy Meyer case, Michael. The photographs of the alleged, I have to say, alleged sure. craft are by far the most detailed, close-up, totally clear, not blurry shots filmed during daylight in the world. As I said, for the listeners who may not know, tell us the story of Billy Meyer, what, where, and when all of this happened. Yes, um, this, this case, as we know it today, began in 1942 when Meyer, uh, as young Edward Albert Meyer, five-year-old boy, was with his father outside in their nice uh, rural Swiss home and saw a silver disc, a large one, fly overhead. And he asked his dad, you know, what is that? And his father said, well, you know, I really don't know, but that could be a secret weapon of Hitler's. This was, you know, towards the last couple of years of the war and all that. So mm -hmm. they kind of let it go at that. There was nothing more. But within a short period of time, just a matter of some days, Meyer heard a voice speaking to him in his head, a man's voice talking to him. And he was kind of, you know, what's this about? And curious. He wasn't, you know, he wasn't freaked out exactly as we'd say, but he was a little startled, didn't know what it was. Shortly thereafter, he felt the urge, some days later, I think it was, that he was outside and he wanted to, he thought, well, I think I'll go into the forest and play. 
and uh, he went you know deeper into the forest and there in a clearing in the forest was an egg-shaped or pear-shaped more accurately pear-shaped craft sitting on strut-like legs and standing in front of this craft was an elderly looking gentleman who was clothed in what uh, young Edward Albert Meyer said looked to be a deep sea diver's suit without a helmet and he said he looked like a 90-year-old man. He was a very old-looking man, but there he was. And he said, you know, the other thing was that he was very, there was a friendliness to him. There was a benevolence. I had no fear. And I approached him, and we began to speak. So he was speaking to young Meyer, more likely uh, in the Swiss-German dialect, possibly in high German, but at five, the dialect that Meyer would have been growing up with was Swiss-German. Verbally? Yes. He started to speak to him out loud. And then... They went on board his ship, and that began an 11-year mentoring with this man, Svath, whose, whose photograph, uh, not photograph, pardon me, illustration of Svath, we have in our film, uh, The Silent Revolution of Truth. And he said that he was taught by Svath, they spoke quite a bit, devices were put on his head that imparted information and showed him things, Svath informed him about many things and helped him to become aware of past lives of his, future events. Svath took him uh, to different parts of our solar system and perhaps beyond. He also introduced him to people on Earth who either were or were going to become major players on the world stage. And Meyer did meet with different people over a period of years here and there as he grew up. So, what happened was, within two years' time, at the age of seven, he had the thinking capacity of a you know well-developed, intellectually seven, uh, not seventeen, thirty-five-year-old uh, man. And uh, this whole experience, he was basically keeping it pretty much to himself. And then he got, uh, he he had the urging to confide in the parish priest, whose name was Father Zimmerman. And Father Zimmerman had himself been telepathically contacted by Svath uh, to prepare him for being the earthly confidant, if you will, of young Meyer. And, you know, there's, there's many layers and levels of questions and answers that come about all these things, but I'll just kind of lay out some of these bullet points and we can go over anything you want. So mm. he indeed uh, kept up these contacts with him um, for 11 years, and at the, by the time when he was 16, right around the age of 16 in there, Svath told him that uh, he would be, you know, kind of uh, being taught from, you know, this point on by another person, a woman, and Svath uh, no longer contacted him, and he had died. And then a woman who identified herself as Asket, A-S-K-E-T, and I think the first contact was also telepathic, and she prepared him for the fact that she would be meeting with him, and she would be picking up the task of working with him, educating him, showing him things, taking him different places, not only exactly just on Earth, but in time as well, so that he would have a chance to see for himself certain things in the in the past for sure that were different than history has portrayed them. Uh, he was working, he worked with Asket for 11 years, which included the time when he was a young fellow and had gone into the French Foreign Legion. There's a whole story about that, and he tells it a little bit in the film. 
and it was then uh, going to be the next contact would take place then, um, well, about 11 or so, 11, 12 years later, when he would be meeting with a woman who would be called Semyaze, S-E-M-J-A-S-E. And she, in 1975, I think January 28th, began the official contacts. And what that means is that all the contacts that he would have with her and any of the other extraterrestrials at that point that would be deemed to be um, for public dissemination, he would be hand-typing them out. At this time, Meyer had one arm. He had lost an arm in Turkey in about 1965. Let me, if I may, interject for a second, because I have a quick, thanks, a quick parenthesis. This is such a fascinating story, what you were about to say. But one aspect of Billy that I didn't know until I watched your DVD, The Silent Revolution of Truth, is that prior to, to Billy being known as the contactee, he spent many years throughout the Middle East and was known as the Phantom, yeah. a hunter of serial killers. And he spent time with Gandhi, the King of Jordan, Franco, Tito, and Saddam Hussein. This is just a quick parenthesis, but to put things in perspective, how did he get involved as a hunter of serial killers in the Middle East? Well, you know, I don't have a whole lot of the details except to say that during this period of his life, there's about a 12-year period of his life, when he was traveling around, he was hitchhiking a lot on foot through about 42 or 43 countries, 140-something thousand miles of travel. And he was learning a lot of things, including studying the major religions of the world. And he had over 360 different jobs or occupations that he performed over that period of time, whatever it was, you know, whether it was working you know, as a printer or a translator or a private detective, this, that, or the other thing. He, he just, he learned, he would do something, he would take it up to, so that he could pay his way, as, as he says, you know, as the right way to go about things. You earn your keep and all of that. And he is someone who has, I, I guess you would just simply use that kind of cliche, nerves of steel. And so the West Pakistan, uh, in West Pakistan, India, and Turkey, for various police departments, he did perform that function as the phantom. He would go out and, you know, they would tell him who to get, and he would bring in these serial killers, mass murderers, and people who were, you know, very, very dangerous people, highly antisocial, deadly types. And uh, as as I say, I think the fact that he had nerves of steel, and he'd also had developed himself into an incredibly accurate crack shot, quick draw. I mean, it's, it's, if there were no UFOs at all involved in the story, it's still like such an amazing biography of, of a man. Right. And we, you know, we show the photographs of him and his, he's got his Swiss leather jacket with the, the Swiss cross on it. And he's got an Arab headdress and maybe it's a 44 Magnum or something on his side. And, you know, there he is. So mm-hmm. he was able to do so many different things. And, uh, more than likely, my guess is that starting when he was you know, just a child, th- he was being prepared in many ways to be able to be adaptable, to learn, to uh, you know, accomplish things, to be self-supporting, uh, you know, to med- be able to meditate very well, uh, very well, <laughs> probably. And a lot of things that are still probably somewhere in the German material, because most of the material I've had access to, of course, is the English, English language. And while more and more is being translated now, thankfully, on a fairly regular basis. There's still tons that, you know, we haven't seen. There's 26,000 pages in German, well over that, actually. And many people wonder, 
because, of course, uh, Billy is handicapped. In 1967, I believe he was uh, traveling through Turkey and uh, was hit by the vehicle where he was riding in, was hit by another vehicle, and he lost, uh, his arm was crushed and was amputated. Is that correct? Yeah, 65. That's correct. 65. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and so they had also told him prior to that time, they said, you will, at some point, you're going to lose your arm. There's nothing we can do about it, and your tasks are going to increase many-fold. Your responsibilities after that are going to be even greater than anything you've done beforehand, so you're going to really have to learn how to you know, dance here, so to speak. And somebody asked me this question. If the people, the beings that he came in contact with were so advanced, why couldn't they repair or regrow his arm? They could. It's just that they... Um, Actually, and they offered, and I think they knew the answer, which was, this would create more trouble for me than it's worth. Why? Well, a couple levels. Number one, as Meyer said, which is quite accurate, he said there are people on Earth that have lost an arm, have lost more than an arm, that are you know, even more grievously injured than I have been. Uh, it would not be fair to them. And plus, he said, just on a personal level, if you gave me an arm as you could, you know, for, with your technology, it would be indistinguishable from, you know, a naturally grown arm, uh, I would be apprehended by the military somewhere before you know it, and they'd be ripping that thing apart to figure out how, how to make one. And so he said, and I've asked him, he says, I don't regret it a bit. I've learned so much from just this experience. And he's an amazing, I mean, you watch him do things, uh, you don't feel sorry for Billy. He just knows how to do it. You should watch him, guys, listening. You should watch him type in a uh, computer. I think he typed 60 words a minute with one hand. Is that true? Yeah, a little over that sometimes in German. That's a little even harder. There's more capitalized words in German because all the nouns require, you know, the cap lock. Mm -hmm. Well, let's start with the why. Why Billy Meyer and not, say, a leader of a country? Well, there's a few answers. Uh, You know, it's kind of one answer, but there's parts to it. First of all, Though there was, uh, I'm going to jump a little ahead and then I'll come back and answer it a little more. But in 1979, they did make an overture to the Carter administration through a letter that was authorized by the player and written by Billy, given to the lead investigators, and that was turned over to the Carter administration. For various reasons, they declined. And it was actually understandable when I, you know, when I saw the letter, I thought, oh my goodness, no one's going to go for this. You know, they're really saying, uh, in effect, they were saying, you know, in order for us to have this contact, uh, Billy Meyer will be our intermediary with you. You're not allowed to approach our ships or try to take possession of them. And uh, before we will really engage in contact, you really should tell all of your, you know, your citizens in America that the religious beliefs are based on lies and delusions. And I read that and I said, well, let's see, Jimmy Carter, Baptist, I don't think that's going to fly. And it didn't. Right. But as to why Billy... We might as well cut to the chase because as as the times are now upon us where uh, things are unfolding very rapidly and we're going to just, we don't have a lot of time to, in a sense, you know, hold hands in the same way with the information as maybe we were doing five or ten years ago to kind of, because it is spreading and it will spread and, you know, you're, you're giving me a, a radio interview here for this period of time. Your listeners will know about this and they'll make of it what they will, but it's, you know, it's been increasing. So we go, we cut to the chase. According to the information in this case, which is something I like to say when I can't prove anything, and this part I can't prove, I can prove the case is real, but that's another matter. According to the information in the case, 
there is something called the human spirit. It is the immortal part of every human being, not only on this world, but in all other worlds. And according to this information, there's gazillions of them where humans are at various stages of development. And every human being has this immortal human spirit, which locates physically kind of in the center of the brain. The term we are often familiar with, the soul, refers to the solar plexus region, primarily where the psyche, the emotions, the personality has a lot of its um, most active here. But the soul and all of those aforementioned components are temporary and they dissolve after death. The spirit doesn't dissolve. It moves into what's referred to in this case as the beyond, an etheric realm in which the spirit goes in between lifetimes. There's no gardens and hills and flowers and donkeys and bunnies. You don't see Aunt Edna and Uncle Phil. There is, you know, there's no consciousness as we know it. And we would never remember the beyond because we, the identity of the personality we have in each lifetime, has dissolved and been absorbed informationally in its essence by the spirit and also into what are called the storage banks around the planet for, you know, the information from everybody that's ever lived and whatever they felt, thought, did, etc. It's all stored kind of in frequencies like a big frequency computer. Did they define it as the spirit? Is that the term that they used? Mm -hmm. The human spirit. That's how it translates for us into English. And they okay. distinguished it from the soul, the psyche, and all that business. Now, according to this information, reincarnation then is a fact of life, and that the spirit that currently enlivens Billy Edward Albert Meyer is an enormously ancient spirit, Probably the, well, they say it is simply the oldest spirit form in our universe, and it had already done the evolution. It had already gone through the countless millions and millions and millions of human lifetimes in a whole other part of this universe that, you know, probably doesn't even any longer have physical planets because it's been so long. And it evolved, it went into the lower levels of the spiritual realms where there are no physical bodies, it's simply the spirit itself that has evolved through these countless millions of lifetimes to a place where it no longer is in a physical body and it enters into the lower level of spiritual realms where it will also take billions of years of evolution to move through and one one time at one point, remerge with what they call the creation, this universe, the consciousness, everything that's created, sustained at all is is within and created by and sustained by what they call the creation. We might say it's the universe. Uh, the Native Americans might say the great spirit, but it's not a deity. It's not a God. Uh, all of that refers to human beings, but to go back to it. So Meyer's spirit and we'll just uh, limit the reference now pretty much to this planet, has in the past incarnated as six other prophets, that whose names, almost all of whose names we know commonly in our you know so-called biblical history. And this is, and it was meant to be, the seventh and final incarnation of this prophet for this world for the purpose of one last time finally getting what they call the true teaching of creation brought to our world so that it can be preserved now that we have the electronic age and it made available for ensuing generations for hundreds and thousands of years to come and then not even limited to this world. And 
I believe I heard you say this. Uh, when Billy was taken aboard a ship, uh, he was, uh, let's use the term, downloaded information into his brain. Did he also get to recollect the, the past life memories? Does, does he know about his life memory, past life memories right now? Well, I think the answer is yes. And I don't have a whole lot of information, but he knows who the spirits, who the pr previous personalities were. And he has the ability to actually go into the storage banks if he wants and get that in for any of that information. And he did it uh, in, uh, for the purpose of writing the last uh, book that was uh, published in German and some of which is already in English called The Goblet of Truth, which contains the original teaching of creation, the spiritual teaching for human beings in this universe, as the six previous prophets taught it in their understanding and language of their time, translated you know, to German and to English, and his own publication of it for the people of this time. Because we've had you know, greater understanding in certain ways, of course, through evolution. And now, from this point on, this translation, this publication of the teaching will be more than sufficient for people for a long, long, long time to come. And of course, Billy Meyer is a real person, no doubt. And we have the hundreds and hundreds of photographs. But also we've heard the quote from Carl Sagan. Extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. What is the best piece of evidence, Michael, to substantiate Meyer's claims? Well, sure, that's a good question, Mel. Because while I say there are six categories of still irreproducible physical evidence, and I mean that, and there have been some good attempts there. There have been good attempts made trying to, you know, duplicate this and... But it never, you know, it can't be done because the best of the attempts are done with small models. And there's always, the camera always shows it's a small object close to the camera. And Myers were always and determined with real good analysis to be, you know, large objects a distance from the camera. So the answer is that the best evidence that shows this to be real is the compilation, the ever-growing corroboration of Meyer's specific, prophetically accurate, scientific, environmental, and world event-related information. By that, I mean that Meyer was given, or himself self, you know, wrote and published, information about very specific things, events, discoveries, etc., and did so up to 60 years ago, just about now. And... Over the past, you know, six plus decades, this information we we keep finding more and more new newer corroborations of things. Sometimes it's so specific you think that they simply copied it from Meyer. And I put up an article on my website that's called "Will Humanity Wake Up in Time?" And that's a compilation that you know we add to. I don't know if I even have to any longer. We can, but there's probably over a hundred right now very specific things pertaining to just about everything you can imagine in the environment, uh, oh, astronomy, biology, medicine. And these are things that Meyer was told, or as I say, in some cases, he himself, because he has that ability, prophesied or predicted. And for somebody who wants to know if this is true or not, you can even set aside the physical evidence and say, well, you know, okay, Even though we've got these tests from major laboratories and major scientists and it's irreproducible, don't deal with it. Simply go and start reading through 
this documentation and find out how you can know that he published this in advance. Now, most, but not all, of these things were in copyrighted books and documents. Some of them, uh, because in 1951 and 58, these letters that he sent around the world, those letters, while the play are in extraterrestrials, still have original copies. We don't have the original, and you know maybe they'll show them at some point because they've kind of long since you know gone to seed, so to speak. However, the real trick there, when you when you put your thinking cap on, is you look at and you find out when was this document put up on the internet, and then you go and you say, okay, well, some of this stuff, you know, he could have backdated it. Who knows, right? Then you go, wait a minute, this was put up in 2005 or 2002. And now three years later, this event takes place. Oh, and that was in there. Now you start looking at the other things that are in the document. And you start seeing other things come to pass. And you realize that this is a clever, not, a, not an unsolvable or ins- <laughs> you know, situation. It's a clever way to get us to do a little work for ourselves. And then we can know. So the question will be, well, how do we really know that these books exist? Well, um, it's pretty easy. You can go on to Amazon or eBay. Uh, the collector's items now we have them, and we put them up as eBooks on on our site, and you can start to figure this out. Plus, you can just, as I said, just watch the prophecies and predictions where we can verify exactly when they were posted online, and you know, first wrote about them and stuff like that. Um, you're going to start to see that these things are unfolding. And a recent example that just took place. The WikiLeaks, you're familiar with that whole thing that just happened with the leaking of the documents on the Iraq War. Yes, yes. All right, and they talk about torture and mass murder and all this stuff. That is almost, and I'm not in front of a computer or I'd read it to you, but in 1958, Meyer wrote in uh, in an open letter, there were like 162 or so specific things that he, he predicted, prophesied, and... Number six, he foretells, I think, the reunification of Germany, and then he talks about the United States in the future is going to have two wars with Iraq, the second one under a president who will be the son of a former president. It will lead to uh, an unbelievable disaster, torture, uh, murder by U.S. forces, and the rebellious. Well, when you read a couple of those sentences right out of the WikiLeaks, it was about torture and murder by the U.S. forces and, and then the Iraqi police or military who were the rebellious ones who were killing their own people off there. That article has been on my website for two to three years for sure. WikiLeaks just came out. You know, I mean, it's like it's a slam dunk on so much of this. For instance, the one uh, we put out press releases on these things just to try and catch people's attention. There was something called a, um, a report on the Islamization of Paris. It's a few weeks back, and it was a report that radical Islamists who were wanting to, you know, practice their religion had taken over some streets in Paris, which is against French law. They brought in their own private security again, and they blocked virtually anybody else out of there, and they were conducting their prayers on commandeered streets in Paris. Well, in 1981, Meyer wrote, um, published out the first of what has come to be known as the Hanak prophecies. And in 87, he uh, he got the full thing uh, pretty much from one of the ETs, and we posted it on two, in 2002. In both of those documents, he describes two specific things, um, among many. I mean, there's a lot in there, but 
he talks about the fact that France is going to be overthrown, Paris will be burned down, and this will be done primarily first by the inhabitants who will be of a specific religious group, and that will be, they will be Muslims. And, you know, this will lead to arson and murder, and eventually France will fall, and uh, all of Europe will be shaken by Islam, and the warriors and fanatics of Islam will retain their power for a long time. Now, I have to insert something here, because it's well within the case, and we document it, and that is that Meyer draws a very clear distinction between people who practice Islam, who are Muslims, just practitioners of a religion, and the radical fundamentalists, the ones who turn into terrorists. Which applies to every religion. Exactly. And they are equal opportunity offenders. They've had something harsh to say about every religion, every group. Every, you know, so if you look, you, you'll, you, you, can, you can find out that you can be offended no matter what you believe or don't believe. However, in this case, the point of it was that when I first read that in 86, because I, I saw the, the, the 81 publication of it first, I thought that was kind of strange. And then in 87, you know, it's, it's expressed again in the document we posted in 2002. In 2004, I mentioned that I put it on a DVD called The Meyer Context, The Key to Our Future Survival. And I reported on, you know, that particular part and a few other things as well. In October, November of 2005, the first riots in Paris took place with is radical Islam, uh, youth mainly, who rioted and uh, there were thousands of cars burned and overturned. There were some people who were killed, and it was the beginning of that flavor, so to speak. Now, with this latest thing, and then just uh, recently, uh, Osama bin Laden, I think, went in, or at least it's attributed to him, and he published uh, a warning to France. You know, if you've been, you know, with your colonial... It's actually stuff. today. That's actually right. today. That's it. Uh, and this is a different story. I mean, people who listen to the show know what our perception about Osama bin Laden, uh, creation of the CIA, and we don't need sure. to get into that, but it uh, Al-Qaeda, uh, you know, uh, we haven't seen a picture of Osama bin Laden, yeah, the, 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 the voices we, we hear lately, you know... To me, this could be another provocation for a, for a, for a new war to prov provoke uh, France to get into... I, I don't want to get into this, but I have a question sure. for you. I'm looking at my library here and all these books that I told you about, a lot of them regarding Billy Meyer and Wendell Stevens. If I open one of these books, am I going to be able to find the prophecy that states... Because this really impresses me. If I can find something that says, in the future... A U.S. president will declare war against Iraq. I mean, we know the 1991 first Iraq war. And then the next one, the son of a president right. will continue that. Is that written somewhere in these books? No, it's, that is not in those books. This was uh, an open letter that uh, Billy wrote in 1958. And this was before these contacts with the play Aaron, uh, with uh, that is with Semyaze and, and the others. So this is before the official contacts. He publishes his own letter with 162 specific things in it. Now, there are things in those books that you're going to be able to open up and indeed get, and you'll see your copyright dates and all that, and you'll, you'll know when it, uh, you know those things were written, and you'll be able to check historically, and you'll find out. For instance, uh, he was told, and he also wrote, uh, that there will be two planets beyond Pluto that will be discovered around the time of the new millennium, which indeed happened. Um, mm. He described the actual number of moons of Jupiter and of Saturn. They clarified for him that we would miscalculate 
the actual moons, I think, of Saturn and attribute too many, but they would really be Adonis asteroids and they, because they measure moons in a certain way. I mean, there's a lot of stuff in there. You can go through those books and what happens, this is what happened for me. This is how I kind of really got, you know, wow, this is about something more than UFOs and ETs. In, mm-hmm. in 1986, I was in a little cafe in Sedona, Arizona with my daughter and a lady I knew. And there was one other guy in the whole place. We're waiting for our sandwiches. We called the guy over to sit and talk to us. Conversation turns to UFOs, then to Billy Meyer. And then the guy says, well, do you have the contact reports? And, you know, the books you're talking about, the four volumes of The Message from the Pleiades, contain yes. the first, uh, you know, or at least excerpts of the first 1,800 pages. So I said, no, I'd like to see that. And he says, well, I live in Decker Canyon. When you get back to L.A., come on up and get it from me. And I said, sure. And I did. And I he gave me these things to take home. I had 1,800 pages of transcripts. And I was up reading this stuff, as you can imagine, for days, weeks, and months, literally, and the the English translations weren't the best, but you can you know what they were saying. So I put the stuff away under the bed for a while, and I just kept you know I was always thinking about it, how fascinating, so much information about things. What am I going to do with this? And then in '88, one day, I opened up a local newspaper, and there was an article, and it said new discovery: Lawrence Livermore National Laboratories, a bomb testing tied to ozone damage. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, that's kind of familiar. I start to read the article, and I thought to myself, well, wait a minute. I already know this. These, these percentages they're talking about, are, it's just like almost exactly what it, how do I know this already if it's new? And then instinctively, I reached under the bed. I pulled out the first 100 pages. It took me about a minute to leaf through, and there it was. They were telling him, warning him, saying, when, you, when your atomic devices explode, atmospheric testing, whatever, they release electrical emanations that are in the high UV range that you do not have the means of measuring or identifying. These electrical emanations go up into the atmosphere. They rend holes in the ozone layer, and they allow through more damaging ultraviolet, which leads to genetic mutations uh, and leads to you know problems with the food chain and all this. And Well, here's this document talking about the ozone damage part. Now, I should add that I opened the newspaper up maybe a year or two later, and there was the rest of it about the genetic mutations and the food chain disruption. So I'm going, wait a minute, this is is pretty interesting. This isn't just about UFOs, you know. And what happened from that point on is I became probably more aware and sensitive to reports. There was an article then in a local paper about... um, Earthquakes, uh, oil extraction, interconnect, or something like that. And it was a, a scientist named Paul Siegel from Stanford University, somewhere between 90 and 92, if I recall correctly. And he said, you know, the uh, extracting of petroleum is leading to greater volcanic and, and or earthquake activity. Well, this was, you can find this right in there in the Meyer material, 75, 76, in the first or second book of those books. You'll find they told him. In 76, I think it is, as a matter of fact, the mining of ores and extraction of petroleum and natural gas lead to all this damage, increased tectonic activity, earthquakes, uh, volcanic eruptions, sea quakes, and then the earth collapses in on itself. Well, you know about sinkholes. We have an article on my site about it that somebody mm-hmm. wrote and sent to me. I put it up. He correlated, uh, as of several months ago, and there are probably more now, a good number of sinkholes appearing around the world from China, Belize, Guatemala, Florida, Canada, you name it, 
and in every single case correlated close to where these sinkholes are was either petroleum extraction or the mining of ores. 1976, it's in the books you currently own. You can walk into a court of law with that and say, here it is, Your Honor. Plus, they also said the overbuilding of cities and the damming of waters. And then when that Chinese dam uh, had a crack some months ago, earlier in the year, whatever, there, there was a report that they were linking that to an earth, you know, it was an earthquake and they were linking it to the dam. And this is, the there's probably thousands at this point, hundreds and hundreds and thousands of specific, invaluably magnificent pieces of information that if human beings had the brains to pay attention to, we would have dug ourselves out of the hole that we're instead digging ourselves deeper in. And I'll, just as an editorial comment, the most useless and actually detrimental, retarding factor, apart from the mainstream media and the powers that be that we know don't want the Meyer case to be discovered, the uh, tying them for first place is the UFO community. And I have nothing but particularly no good things to say about how obstreperous, how, how conniving and, and obstructionist they have been in preventing the Meyer case, so that they could promote every dopey, goofy, insubstantial thing to get people excited about, except our future survival, and that's right here. Let me say something right off the bat, so that you know where I stood a few years ago. By making a personal comment, I need to get this out of the way right from the start. I have heard of the Billy Meyer for many, many years. The media, even alternative and, and mainstream, has made an effort to, to ridicule this case, to discredit it. And as an open-minded skeptic, I always remain on the fence. However, and you'll know why I'm saying this in a moment, after doing this show for some time, Michael, now I have to come to the realization that the flag is always the strongest over the target. When I see a disproportionate effort to discredit, undermine, ridicule, trivialize, etc., by filling the blanks, yeah. perhaps we need to look deeper. I have seen a disproportionate effort to discredit the Billy Meyer case, and I'm glad to have you on so we can explore this case. Do you see this happening? Do you see that there's a disproportionate effort oh, yeah. by discrediting the Meyer case in comparison to other cases? Sure, because I'll, I'll even I'll go a little farther. And of course, these are just you know my perspectives and opinions, and I certainly I'm willing to discuss them. I don't mind being uh, disagreed with, as you can tell, or I wouldn't be doing this job. No. I do not think that we can really say there is another UFO contact case. And there are people, and I can say, are there people that have come across ETs here and there? Yeah. Basically, it's usually quite accidental. Um, there are contacts in the forms of information that do get impulsed, mainly to scientists and people in the medical community that are not involved in defense. It happens unconsciously. They would never know that they got an impulse, an idea, something that led them to develop using their own abilities. The Meyer case is, look, there have been 21 attempts on his life. I've spoken to witnesses to at least a dozen. They're not lying. This man has been a target. He has the the lead investigators, Wendell Stevens, late in, uh, Wendell Stevens and Lee and Britt Elders were picked Elders. up. Yeah, they were picked up by the CIA every time in and out of Zurich on their way in and out of London, I should say, on their way to Zurich in the seventies when they were beginning their you know investigation here. This is a high high target case at the upper echelons of real intelligence. They know it. Uh, they know it's real. 
they would like it to go away or they wish they could have made it go away. They can't. So they do everything else to discredit, to suppress. You cannot get this covered on mainstream news, you know, unless there's going to be some derision or unless Larry King shows the films and photos and doesn't tell you who they are, which he does. So you are 100% right. This, I'll go farther. This is what the UFO cover-up is entirely about. And I say that for this reason. Number one, Roswell happened, of course, as did numerous other crashes. There is nothing left of Roswell to put on the table to prove that there was an extraterrestrial craft that crashed there. What we call the government, many of the people in the government don't even know about it, but at high levels where they needed to know, intelligence, military intelligence, and all that, they know. And yes, they back-engineered and all that stuff. But this is the favorite case of the powers that be because they have nice, well-meaning people like Stanton Friedman and others who will run around with one foot nailed to the floor and go around in circles talking about Roswell. And any and everything else that they possibly can So you've noticed, perhaps, that in the past few weeks, there have been no fewer than, I think, eight stories covered on CNN, ABC, CBS, whatever, uh, blogs that are mainstream connected about UFOs. They go nowhere. Most of that is secret military craft. I'm speaking to you as somebody who has had six daytime sightings of UFOs, and I say to you, so what? Because, first of all, most of it, is secret military. If they were ET craft, still doesn't do me any good. It isn't about the ships they came in. It's about the reason. If there are extraterrestrials in craft that at any time have been on or around this planet, photograph, film their ships or whatever, it's not to give us lights in the sky to chase. It's not to give me or anybody a career. It's to give us information. The reason is in the Meyer case, and that is what the cover-up is about. And as long as people can keep the focus on Roswell and Air Force people cited disks, then you will never, and I will emphasize this and I'll put money on it, you will never get anything unless the government wants to pull some kind of a trick, a phony ET attack, a phony ET landing, whatever, you will get no truth because it's too destabilizing. And the power, and I was thinking about this just today, Mel. What's foretold in these prophecies and predictions in the Meyer case is some very, very, very industrial strength stuff coming, and we are in the beginning of it. There's no doubt in my mind. And it's not about doom and gloom to spread that. I'm just telling you, this is what he's been warning about for 60 years, and now we're in it. And for some reason, you know, people want to maintain their power. They think they can be immune to the the consequences of collective human ignorance. It doesn't work out that way. No No matter how much money or how deeply you can dig yourself into the earth, sooner or later, when things break down, and when you know, certain things happen. Sooner or later, you're affected by it. And it would be far better if the intelligence community really had intelligence and they went, well, why don't we figure out how to do this a little more gracefully where we can all survive? And, you know, it's not in the cards. We're not going to dominate this world. You know, when you read the Hanak prophecies, what they say is coming to this country. And when I, you know, I'm sorry, go ahead. Going back to the assassination attempts, wouldn't it be contradicting and counterproductive to get rid of Billy that way? Wouldn't it be more attention to the case this way? It would now because we finally got the, you know, the cat out of the bag, the genie out of the bottle. But when mm-hmm. most of these attempts, most, not all, I mean, some of them were just 
I think several years ago was the last one, but I, I saw the bullet hole in the uh, little shed through the glass where t- somebody with a rifle tried to kill him, and they, le- they left the glass in place there. But, you know, most of these were happening, you know, in and around the, the 70s. I think there was one attempt on his life uh, in the 60s, maybe in India. I'd asked him about that when he said, yeah, you know, it hit my arm. I said, where? He says, well, that part of my arm is gone now. It's no longer, oh, I see. you know, but he said, right. you know, see, at that time in the early stages when this was still way under the radar, had they succeeded in killing him, it would have been a blip on the radar too. Nobody would have known who's going to spread the word. But then the investigators got in and, and books are coming out and people still trying to kill. Him. Now, at this time, historically, it would really bring more attention. And that's my thing. Look, there's, I can't speak for every lunatic and uh, you know crazed person, whether they're intelligence, religious, uh, secular, whatever. People try and do things. But if you do that now, you're going to wake up a lot of people because that news will get out. And then people are going to say, well, why'd they kill this guy now? What's, who's he? And boy, you click your button and you've got it all at your fingertips on the Internet. And that wasn't so 20 years ago, you know. And I knew the late... Uh Colonel Wendell Stevens, right. who was the leading investigator in the Meyer case, he told you a few years before he died that the United States government was interested in the Meyer case and that he was being observed. How did he come to that conclusion? Do you know? Oh, it was easy. Uh, during the uh, early days, I think it was right around 77, 78, when they first took their trips to Switzerland. Uh, Wendell, Lee, and Britt uh, were in the Tucson area, basically, I think, in Arizona. And they would come into L.A. Uh, They made no reservations. They would simply go to Tower Air. And Tower Air that existed at the time, you could go and line up, buy your ticket, and get on the plane wherever you wanted to go, wherever they were flying, right? Like a bus. Like a bus. So they would go, and they'd get on a plane, you know, a connecting flight, you know, to London. And from the first time they landed there, there was a tall uh, black gentleman waiting for them in a chauffeur's outfit. And he walked up and he said, uh, you, you know, Colonel Stevens, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Elders. And they said, yeah, I have your car for you. <laughs> he said, what car? He said, hmm. just follow me. And th- uh, they did. And again, they had given no one advance warning of this. Uh, they were taken to a place in central London. I think it's still there called Grosner House. And... In there was a man named Mark Nathan. Mark Nathan uh, had also written to Wendell. I'm not sure if it was before this first experience or after. And Mark Nathan had written him uh, as, I think, as a Knights of Malta stationery and something else. Mark Mm. Nathan was then the, the bureau chief for the CIA in London at the time. And they said, um... We understand you're going to go see Mr. Meyer in Switzerland, and we'd like your cooperation. <laughs> they said, well, how do you know all this? And they said, well, just, you know, we, we'd, we'd like you to cooperate with us. And so they said, well, you know, okay, whatever. And uh, they went on their way. And when they came back into, uh, from, you know, from Zurich to London to connect to the U.S., they were picked up again by the chauffeur. And this, then each of those trips returning home, whatever photographs, whatever information, they, you know, were asked, would you kindly allow us to have that for a few moments? And it would disappear into another room and maybe a little longer at that time. And then it would be returned to them. And and then, you know, they uh, they deliberately were as, as little forthcoming as possible. But Wendell also told the story that on one occasion or so, uh, a phone, a red phone, like an emergency phone, I think, rang 
like 10 or 12 times in a row, which was physically impossible for that type of phone. And when Mark Nathan picked it up, there was no one there. He called the switchboard. Did you put a call through? No. And they knew that it was kind of like the play iron, which is simply saying, we know what's going on. Hi, have a nice day. And many unusual things. You know, Wendell had great stories, and I'm going to be putting up a link in my site. Somebody um, had done a great interview with him in 99, too. More information about the testing of the Meyer uh, photos is in there. And that was really interesting because he tells a lot more about the high-level labs and the processes they used and how they were able to do that stuff, yeah. Well, he spent years. He spent years yeah. and countless hours doing this research. But I'm curious, did uh, Billy Meyer ever talk about our moon and perhaps crop circles? Yes. Our. Uh, you want to be more specific? Well, moon, for example, you know, other moons and other planets, they rotate. And although ours rotate, we seem to never be able to see the far side of the moon. Right. Did he say anything peculiar about why the moon is there and for what reason? The moon is, an, is a natural object. It's not a man-made object. It isn't hollow. It's not a spaceship. It, mm -hmm. it, um, we have information on the site as to how it actually was kind of dragged into our solar system and took its place there. Um, Meyer has seen in future time, he was taken on a future trip with, by Semyaze, in about four to five hundred years, we will have bases on the moon uh, from Earth people and our own kind of, you know, s spaceships that he described. He said at the time they kind of looked like some of the fantasy spaceships out of um, movies and television things on Earth. And he's talking in the, I guess, uh, was this late 70s, early 80s when he was taken on that trip. And she said, yes, you know, that uh, because also people get, you know, th this is the whole thing with the impulses and they, they tap into ideas of things and what things will look like and they don't know that. But some of these things manifest that way later in the future. But he was shown that there were bases then. There was colonization on the moon. They have, so far as I know, they've said, no, you, you, you don't have any of that going on now. Uh, it's not that there hasn't been, um, uh, let's say, ETs that have, let's say, landed on the moon and, or, or observed our astronauts on the moon and stuff like that, but uh, I, am, I don't get a lot of information for them that, that leads in any way to corroborate that there's some big hidden things going on on the moon at this time. You don't find it, you don't find it interesting that the next time we supposedly will be going back to the moon would be 50 years after the first time, and we're talking about going to Mars. Don't we need a stepping ground before we go to Mars? Don't we need to go to the moon faster? Maybe so. I mean, uh, to, be, to be honest with you, I haven't done a lot of concern or focus on that part of it because those things, you know, traveling to Mars and traveling to the moon, all that, you know, that's nice if we can survive ourselves long enough to get that type of an effort going, and then eventually, yes, we will. And human beings will eventually, uh, you know, under all best conditions, become true space travelers. But these things are still hundreds, if not thousands of years in the future. Most of what we hear from people that are talking about, well, I was, I was sent to Mars, I time-traveled, and this, this is all nonsense. It, it's, it's blithering nonsense. If those abilities really existed, believe me, nobody would out, be out there talking about it. It's not that some people may not believe that those things happened, but then you're looking very often at people who've been messed with by military, and uh, the, the cover-up on UFOs and all this stuff started in 1915. This is not, nothing new. 
it's just new to people that don't know that the, the demonization of so-called aliens really started in the late 40s when Orson Welles and H.G. Wells, under an edict of death if they didn't cooperate and forever to be silent and never even tell their families, the Roosevelt administration got them to do the War of the World's radio broadcast. In the 30s. Yeah. I'm sorry if I was a little too far forward with that, but basically to demonize because they knew they were extraterrestrials. They'd been sighted, the ships had been sighted over the battlefields of Europe in the First World War. And at first everybody thought, oh, oh, secret weapon. And then they realized nobody's being attacked and these things are just hovering in place. They don't come from here. So the conspiracy of silence was understandable. It was in everybody's you know, concern necessary because nobody, no power wants to say there are beings outside of any of our terrestrial constraints that can come and go do what they please, have a, you know, and go ha- have your lunch and go shopping, as George Bush would say. It ain't going to happen because then... It's ego. Yeah. You know, it's not only that, it's just the fear of loss of control that leads to panic and anarchy right. and all those things, which would be true in a certain sense, but don't have to go that way if people were not so, you know, wired the way we are right now. Well, if you're the president of a country and this is happening, how can you tell the population, look, they're here, they're right. flying over our airspace, and there's nothing we can That's do right. about it? Exactly. And so, had there been more of a consciousness, and that, you know, the ETs could have read it uh, in, pe- in people in power, because this goes back to your earliest questions. Then, let's say it would have been in the Roosevelt administration that they could have said, okay, this administration of people on Earth seems to be the most powerful com- country. And they're also, how nice, they seem willing, they would like to interact and help evolve their world and their people, and they're not filled with fear and aggression. We can initiate a contact with them and then do this gradually so they can gradually introduce this to the world. We can do this in a nice, non-shocking way. No, that's not the consciousness. Certainly it wasn't the consciousness of our government at any time. And, you know, the any other one, they might have been able to pull it with some lesser powers, but that wouldn't wouldn't work. So this is a very... Very long-standing thing, and this is why, and, and again, all these documents that, that detail this, people can read them and figure it out for themselves. If it, if it rings true, if it doesn't, you know, it's fine. Make up your own mind. But the UFO community, quote-unquote, exopolitics, the biggest nonsense on earth, none of these people will direct people to the information because they'll be out of a gig. They'll no longer need a MUFON. They won't need exopolitics. They won't need APRO, this one, that one, the other one, because you're chasing phantoms. Why not get cut to the chase, get the material in front of yourself, start educating yourselves, ask questions, have dialogues, make challenges, and work this through to the betterment of humanity. That's what it's about. You mentioned MUFON, and after the break, I want to talk to you about some headlines that I got. Uh, One of our listeners from Australia sent this, and it says, unexpected development. MUFON Maverick break rank, breaks ranks, supports Billy Meyer UFO case. And I want to talk to you about sure. that after the break. But crop circles, did Billy Meyer mention anything about crop circles? There was Yes, there was confusion about that. Now, just so people understand that I'm not just running around, Billy Meyer said, Billy Meyer said, in as early as the 1990s, my take on it was that crop circles were extraterrestrial in origin and that what had happened is they'd seen the landing tracks on Meyer's property since the 70s, the swirled grass, nothing was harmed, you know, blah, blah, blah. And they decided to use 
use this technology that they all possessed to give us signals and, and show creativity can be used very powerfully without harm, blah, blah, blah. That was my construct. Now, when the question was brought up to Meyer and he first asked it of the play Aaron, there was a little confusion on this whole thing. And they said, well, if this is extraterrestrial and we'll look into it, it seems like a very indirect, foolish way to try to communicate. If you want to make contact with human beings of Earth, then make contact with them. And they also said it could be possibly it's future travelers uh, from Earth leaving these messages in the field. It, it appears to me, for the, and I'm not even telling you I'm in harmony with this, the last thing I read from them is they're saying these are not extraterrestrial in origin. Now, just in all fairness, there's a guy named Richard Hall in London who's got yes. a website, I think it's called The Unexplained or something, and he has a whole film out on these people whose offices are next, you know, down the block from MI5 who claim and claim to show that they are behind a lot of these very sophisticated crop circles and how they do it. I don't know. And I, I kind of enjoy telling you that. I don't know. Maybe Meyer's wrong. Maybe they are extraterrestrial. I, I would think that, you know, it, they're amazing. And it's a, it's, a, it's a wonderful thing to contemplate the beauty and all, whatever their source. It's not going to, unfortunately, it, again, doesn't evolve us in our knowledge, really, because we're dealing now with symbolism. People can say, well, this is advanced math or geometry, but so what? We need clear, plain language. We don't need more Nostradamus. And that's why the Meyer prophecies and predictions are so invaluable. They tell you in plain, simple language. This will occur if this happens, then that, this, that. And the other. If you don't want this to happen, then don't do this. I mean, it's, it's just like you can talk to a child or a genius scientist. It's all cause and effect. So I don't know the answer to crop circles. I'm fascinated by them. I think they're beautiful, but that's the best I can do. Well, it's, it's the equivalent of uh, dropping a computer on top of a tribe in the middle of an unexplored tribe in the Amazon. Amazon yeah. What are they going to do with it? Yeah, Yeah, what are they going to do with it? And I don't know, I mean, we'll probably some, at some point we'll know whether these are E.T. or not or who, who's made them. I mean, clearly uh, in, in this guy's video, he, uh, these people that he is reporting on make a pretty good case for designing stuff with computers and, and being able to. But I don't know. I won't say that that's how it happened. I, I don't, again, I'm fascinated by them, but if I have to give them a percentage of my time, it's going to be very, very small because I can't do anything with it that really pardon me, directly relates to our challenges right now. Of course. And we have to take our one and only intermission, Michael, but tell us how to get in touch with your work. Sure. I have a website that is theyfly, T-H-E-Y, F as in Frank, L-Y, theyfly.com. And you can find everything there. Tons of stuff. We always update. We link to things. We do take questions and challenges, and it just takes me a while to get back to people, but I do. Great. Folks, don't go anywhere. We have so much more to talk about, about the Billy Meyer case, the prophecies, the sound recorders. And as I've said before, I personally had the pleasure of knowing Colonel Wendell Stevens. Uh, I know Jim Delatoso, who was also involved in the analysis that was done. So, folks, don't go anywhere. This is Mel Fabregas. You're listening to Veritas, and we're here with Michael Horn. We'll be right back. Thank you very much for listening. We're going to talk more with our special guest in our members section. Head on over to our website, veritasshow.com, click on subscribe and join us in the members area to tune in to the second part of this great show. We'll take a short break, listen to some music, and we'll be right back with more.
is Leslie Kane, and you're listening to Veritas Radio. Mm-hmm. 